Leviticus, just a few books back from Deuteronomy, Leviticus 4. We'll be reading verses 1 through 13, and then a few selections in chapter 4. Leviticus 4, beginning in verse 1. And this is in the, in the lineup of all the, the offerings that can be offered in chapter 1. It is about the burnt offerings. In chapter 2, the, the meat or grain offerings. In chapter 3, it's about the peace offerings. In chapter 4, deals with the sin offerings. So verse 1 of chapter 4 of Leviticus. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done, and shall do against any of them, if the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin which he hath sinned a young bullock without blemish unto the Lord for a sin offering. And he shall bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, and shall lay his hands upon the bullock's head and kill the bullock before the Lord. And the priest that is anointed shall take of the bullock's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle of the blood seven times before the Lord, before the veil of the sanctuary." And the priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour all the blood of the bullock at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall take off from it all the fat of the bullock for the sin offering, the fat that covereth the inwards, and all the fat that is upon the inwards, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is upon them, which is by the flanks, and the call above the liver, with the kidneys, it shall shall he take away. As it was taken off from the bullock of the sacrifice of peace offerings, and the priest shall burn them upon the altar of the burnt offering. And the skin of the bullock, and all his flesh, with his head, And with his legs, and his inwards, and his dung, even the whole bullock, shall he carry forth without the camp unto a clean place, where the ashes are poured out, and burn him on the wood with fire. Where the ashes are poured out, shall he burn it, shall he be burnt. And if the whole congregation of Israel sin through ignorance... And the thing be hid from the eyes of the assembly, and they have done somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which should not be done and are guilty. When the sin which they have sinned against it is known, then the congregation shall offer a young bullock for the sin and bring him before the tabernacle of the congregation. In verse 20, we see the result um, of these Sacrifices, and we'll read verses 20 through 22, this little portion. And he shall do with the bullock as he did with the bullock for a sin offering, so shall he do with this. And the priest shall make atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. And he shall carry forth the bullock without the camp, 
and burn it him as he burned the first bullock. It is a sin offering for the congregation. Verse 22. When a ruler hath sinned and done somewhat through the ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord his God concerning things which should not be done and he is guilty. And verse 23 says what kind of animal would be necessary for a ruler. Or if his sin wherein he hath sinned come to his knowledge, he shall bring his offering a kid of the goats, a male without blemish. We skip to verse 26 that shows the result of that sacrifice. And he shall burn all his fat upon the altar as the fat of the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall make an atonement for him as concerning his sin. And it shall be forgiven him. Verse 27, and if any one of the common people sin through ignorance while he doeth somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done and be guilty, or if his sin which he hath sinned come to his knowledge, then he shall bring his offering, a kid of the goats, a female without blemish for his sin which he hath sinned. And verse 32, And if he bring a lamb for a sin offering, he shall bring it a female without blemish. And he shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering and slay it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. And verse 35, And he shall take away all the fat thereof, as the fat of the lamb is taken away from the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn them upon the altar, according to the offerings made by fire unto the Lord. And the priest shall make an atonement for his sin and he hath, that he hath committed, and it shall be forgiven him. Thus far in the reading of God's word. Dear congregation, we, we have before us the theme of the sin offering. This was one of the offerings, as we saw, that God had instituted to, to be offered before Him. And we will see the sin offering as pictures of judgment. Every single one of the sin offerings that were offered, they were pictures. They were not the essence, but they were pictures of the essence. And in Leviticus 4... Um, verse 20, I'll read this one verse, um, speaking of one of the sin offerings, a specific one offered for the sin of the priest. And as you saw, as we have read, it, it followed the same principle. The offerings could change depending on who was the one who offended the Lord and brought the offering, but they all had the same result. So Leviticus 4 verse 20 it says, And he shall do with the bullock as he did with the bullock for a sin offering. So shall he do with this, and the priest shall make an atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. So there are two important words there, the word atonement and the word forgiveness. Now we have seen over the course of around two years many of the pictures of forgiveness or figures of forgiveness in preparation for the Lord's Supper in these, in these last two years. We, we saw through these pictures how, how central to the heart of God forgiveness is that He gave us so many pictures. 
Forgiveness is so necessary that God gave us many varieties of pictures. God is willing to forgive, we, we've learned. He has shown through these um, pictures that not only is He willing, He is eager. He wants to display His mercy. He wants us to know this about Him. Um, we, we have many quotes that, that many um, pastors and, and in, from the Bible about the, the centrality of forgiveness. Um, I'll start with David from Psalm 103, verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemeth all thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. So even as God is showing how, how he is a God who forgives, you notice the pictures that, that he heals diseases, that he, he redeems life from destruction, that he purchases us back. Sin is like a, a slave trader keeping us as a slave, owned by itself as a master. God has redeemed us and purchased us, pay the debt, and we are free to serve him. Um, Thomas Watson said this, Pardon of sin is a fine thread spun out of the heart of free grace. Paul cries out, I obtained mercy, 1 Timothy 1.13. It was as if he was saying, I was be mercied. He who is pardoned is all be truned with mercy. When the Lord pardons a sinner, he does not pay a debt, but gives a legacy. And we have seen that Forgiveness is like paying a debt. Thomas Watson is saying it's, it's really more than that. It is giving a whole legacy. It's, it's like you'll never run out of money to pay for the debt of sin when you're a true believer. Um, one of the most powerful quotes, perhaps the most powerful quote about forgiveness had to come from the lips of Christ. He was on the cross. He was nailed. They had already punched him, they had slapped him, they had arrested him, they had betrayed him, they had judged him falsely, they have, had already picked, as it were, the, the beard from, from the, the, the hair of his beard, they had spat upon him, and the Lord Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. From a sermon of MacArthur's, he said this. He said, Scripture gives at least, and he found 75 word pictures of forgiveness. Here are a few, and then he numbers a few. To forgive is to turn the key, open the cell door, and let the prisoner walk free. To forgive is to write in large letters across, um, across a debt, nothing owed. To forgive is to pound the gavel in a courtroom and declare not guilty. To forgive is to shoot an arrow so high, so far, that it can never be found. To forgive is to take out the garbage and dispose of it, leaving the house fresh and clean. To forgive is to loose the anchor, to set the ship to sail. To forgive is to grant a full pardon to a condemned and sentenced criminal. To forgive is to loosen a stranglehold on a wrestling opponent. To forgive is to sandblast a wall of graffiti, leaving it looking brand new and no memory left of what was there. To forgive is to smash a clay pot into a thousand small pieces so that it can never be reassembled. 
Forgiveness is a marvelous, virtuous, liberating, loving attitude and act. It makes sense to forgive. It is healthy. It is wholesome. It is sensible. It relieves tension. It produces joy. It brings peace. It solicits love. More than that, as I said last time, forgiveness is the most noble thing one saint can do for another. It is humility. Christianity at its highest level. Christian to Christian. Forgiveness is precious. And God wants us to know that it's precious to Him. It is, in essence, the most needful thing to you. Because without forgiveness, you and I are lost. Utterly lost. Salvation begins with forgiveness. There is no salvation without forgiveness. That is what we need the most because sin is the greatest problem that we have. And so we need it done away with. And forgiveness does that. And so we've been seeing all of these pictures. And it's been, we've been reminded of how gracious God is before we come to the Lord's Supper. Every, every Lord's Day. Every time that we have the Lord's Supper. And I, and I said that in conclusion to this whole series, we would see how is forgiveness possible. And there's another picture that God gives. It's the picture of judgment. You noticed as I read in Leviticus that as those sacrificed are offered and atonement is made, there is forgiveness. So when you look at the lamb and when you would look at the bullock, when you would look at the, 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 the pigeon, whatever animal would be upon the altar, they were not pictures of forgiveness. Forgiveness was a result of that picture. And it, it begs then us to think, well, what, they, what were they a picture of? They were a picture of judgment. They were a picture of what God has to do in order for forgiveness to be obtained. And when we looked at forgiveness, understandably... And, and, and without any kind of explanation, it is blessing to our hearts. We love to hear that God forgives sin. We love to hear that He remembers our sin no longer, that He throws it so far away as in, into the depths of the seas and as east, as far from the west, and all those pictures. We love all of that. But we need to be reminded how that's possible. And the Lord's table is showing us a picture of judgment. It is showing a picture of the one who died. This is not the one who died. It is a picture. And none of those animals were, were the ones who really died so that sins would be paid. They were a picture of the one who would. And so all those pictures and the Lord's Supper, they converge our hearts and our thoughts to the mount called Calvary on that cross where the Lord Jesus was nailed to the tree that was the essence. That was the judgment of judgments. That's how forgiveness is obtained. And so let us look primarily to the sin offering. We will very briefly look at the picture in the sin offerings. And then during the supper as we partake, we will see the portrait in the sin offering. What, 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 is, what, what is it a portrait of? Because we're thinking, of course, of the person of Christ. In all of those sin offerings, and even in the Lord's Supper, we have here before us a portrait of Jesus. A portrait is more than just a picture. It is a person. It is the picture of a person. 
And so we will see a picture of Christ. So first, sin and sacrifice. I I just want here to to point to, to three very basic things. Did you notice, as we have been reading... Through, through Leviticus 4, we hear of the sins of the priests and then the sins of the rulers and then the sins of the congregation as a whole and the sins of people, individual people, the common people. That's a reference to each and every one of us um, individually. The sins of all those and then what did you need? Sacrifice. Um, the priest couldn't just acknowledge that he committed a sin, even if it were a sin of ignorance. And we'll look at what this, uh, this phrase refers to. It doesn't mean a sin that you had absolutely no idea that you committed. It's simply speaking of a sin and a contrast from someone who's just wanting to live a life of sin and doesn't even want forgiveness and wants to go on sinning. Sometimes that person may, may, may fiddle around with the thought of forgiveness, but the whole thought is that that person, that's not a sin of ignorance. That's a sin of defiance. And that's, his, that's, that's where he wants to go. And so there is no sacrifice for that person in terms of a daily basis. It's not saying there's no hope. That's who Paul was in his life. But the moment he saw the crucified and he confessed his sins and acknowledged that he really was persecuting Christ, well then Christ was an offering for him. And daily for for Paul's sins. His sins from there on were never sins of defiance. They were sins of ignorance. The sin of the true believer is always a sin of ignorance. It's the idea that you you sin in the hurry. You sin because you're not thinking straight. You sin because of your weakness. But this is why in the Bible, Jesus says that if somebody decides to go on in a career of sin, as it were, and you've talked to them and you brought witnesses and you told the church, well, then treat them as an unbeliever. Because now that person is living in sins of defiance. And that person needs to be told, you know, you can't just kneel and say, Lord, forgive me my sin. You need to repent. You need to come back. You need to start fresh. Maybe you've never been a believer. And so this is very solemn, very very serious. It's never saying there's no hope for those who sin in defiance. But while they're sinning in defiance, yes, there's no hope. You can't presume that God will be merciful as you keep a life of defiance. So this is why it says sins of ignorance. And so there were these sins of ignorance and the priest and the congregation and the rulers, they would all have hope. They would bring their sacrifices before the Lord and they would be forgiven. They would be cleansed. If there were sin, there had to be sacrifice. Um, another, another element to be thoughtful of is Sin offerings weren't the only offerings, and, and I just want to bring this reality. They were the sin offerings, and another one connected to it, sometimes we confuse and think they're the same, were the trespass offerings. But if you read through Leviticus, you'll find that they were two specific sin offerings. One was called sin offering, was, one was called trespass offerings. And, and the main difference is that while the sin offering dealt with sins in general, the trespass offering dealt with specific sins. 
Um, like when you, when you realized that you, that you, for example, you made a vow and you, forget to keep, you forgot to keep it. Or, or where, where you know a specific law that you had transgressed. Or an example is perjury against a neighbor or specific immorality. You would bring the trespass offering. But the sin offering was always basic. It was always the first one. It had in view the guilt of sin, while trespass offering had in view the injury of sin. Like who you offended, and even God especially, whom you have, had grieved. And so th- those were the, the t- two sin offerings in essence. But the, the sin offering itself was, was really the most foundational one. It dealt with the whole reality of sin to begin with. But there were also burnt offerings, which was a whole animal offered, and that typified someone saying, My whole life and soul is dedicated to, to Thee, O Lord. There were the peace offerings that followed after all of these, because then you could say, I am reconciled to Thee, so I bring gratitude offerings, and I thank the Lord for the salvation that I have and the forgiveness that I have. It, it was out of the peace offerings that came all the free will offerings. And if you will, the, the free will offerings, the whole idea, here was that the peace offerings never had a limit. There was no law saying you can only offer one peace offering. Now, after you offered your peace offering, if you wanted to offer a second, a third, or even a thousand like Solomon did, those were the free will offerings. God was saying you are free to bring as many offerings as you want to show your gratitude to me because of what I had done. You didn't have to bring a thousand sin offerings. That could be one. And then if you had a specific transgression, you brought a transgression offering. And then the burnt offering, but then the peace offering, it was God saying, just be as free as you want and bring as many as you want. And no one is coerced to do it. You can bring one. You can bring 200. It is up to your heart to show to me the praise and the gratitude that you desire to show. There were also the meat or drink offerings. These were very connected to almost like our tithes. They were bringing their offerings to the Lord based on what God had blessed them with. And then there were the the heave offerings or wave offerings because they would get the wheat or certain parts of the animal and weave it before the Lord in a symbol that they were giving it to the Lord. It was also showing um, like, like their tithing to the Lord and giving offerings to the Lord. Also, all in terms of gratitude. And there was one called the red heifer offering that was very specific for when somebody had had a contact with a dead person, a dead body, and then they were ceremonially unclean. They would have the red heifer offering. So there were all these multitudes of offerings. And in the sense that these animals perished, in the sense that these animals burned, And in the sense that these animals all had blood shedding. And and the way you see it is, especially as it focused upon those first two, the sin offering and the trespass offering, they were pictures of judgment. Jesus had to die. You cannot be forgiven without death. Someone has to be judged. All of that forgiveness that we spoke of is a blessing to you. But God is not just closing his eyes to sin. He is opening his eyes to Jesus and saying, that's where my sins went. That is who will have to suffer. So let us go to our second point, the picture in the sin offerings. 
Like I said, the the foundation of all these offerings was a sin offering. Um, It was specifically designed for the atonement of sins and the result of forgiveness of sins that would follow. So boys and girls, the the way you have to see it, and, and this is why it's important for us to read Leviticus and be reminded of these things. The Jewish people saw this every day. Thankfully, we don't have to, but that doesn't mean we don't read these passages anymore. We, we must learn from them because there's a lot we can learn. And this is what you need to consider. When, 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 when these families were present there and they were seeing that animal before them, there was nothing really happy about it other than the outcome. There was always the outcome and the joy that forgiveness would be obtained. But you you need to be gripped by by the tension and by the reality that began even back home. And so, boys and girls and young people, you've prepared yourself to come to church today. You had to wake up. You had to be ready. Some of us had breakfast. And and, and we, we got into our cars and we came to church. The boys and girls in those days, the way they would, they would go to church, it would begin very often with a father saying to his little son, um, um, Benjamin, go, go to the stable and get the lamb that we set apart from yesterday or get, get the goat. Or, or Lydia, go, go to the cage and get the turtle dove. Go get the grain. Go get the wine. And let us go to worship. And see, in every step in the direction of the temple, those little boys and girls and the teenagers understood that that animal that was being carried, carried sometimes by the very child, they would be thinking, this, this is the last I see of this lamb. This lamb in a few minutes will be slain. The blood will be shed. The priest will take it, put it upon the altar, and I will see it burn. See, and once they arrived in that whole scenario, and and they would hear a little bit of the bleeding. If it was a lamb, it would be a lot less bleeding. If it was a goat, there'd be more bleeding. Bleating, I'm speaking of of the sounds that the animals would make. But even a little turtle dove would show a few little signs of not liking it, that it was wrapped and, and maybe tied a little bit and couldn't fly anymore. There's no more freedom for that turtle dove. You, you see, get that picture. That little child would be holding that little turtle dove and just thinking the sweet little poor animal that could fly free at any given minute can no longer do that because pretty soon the priest will wring its neck, kill it. There will be some blood spilled and it will die. And when that animal was, especially right there at the altar, and that blood and that, and that fire came upon it, it you, you, you can literally understand this. This was like a little mini picture of hell. It was God saying, this is what I do. This is what I do because of what just happened a few minutes before this. And what happened a few minutes before was that the father would be with his hand upon the animal. And as a representative head of that family, he was, he was confessing the sins of the family upon that poor victim. In their minds, it would really be playing out this reality. Sin is being transferred from us to that animal. He, he is becoming sin for us. 
the, the life that is in that animal represents our life. And, and this, beloved, and, you know, think of our studies of Acts, and we've gotten to that point where, where the church has told the Gentile people, have nothing to do with blood, do not eat blood, do not eat animals that have blood in it. Well, this is why. This is why they thought that would be integral and necessary for there to be any communion between Jews and Gentiles. Because the Gentile world couldn't care less of blood. They used it as a food item. And in the Jewish mind, it was the very central aspect of the sacrificial offering. Because see, when the Father was doing that and transferring the sins of the people to that little animal, that little animal, there was this word that starts with S that was very important, was a substitute. That little animal was substituting Benjamin, it was substituting Lydia, it was substituting the mother, it was substituting the father. And as, as big as that family was, that little animal was substituting them. And then they understood this. They thought, that little animal is, is like me. But now I see this little animal's blood flowing. So my life would be flowing if those sins were upon me. But I thank the Lord that my sins are upon that lamb. And, but that's not all. It wasn't just the blood that would pour. It would be the animal on the altar. And before you knew it, it was all being taken in blood and in fire. The fat would be there on the altar for the sin offering. It wouldn't be the whole animal on the altar. It would be just the fat because it was the best part. And then the head and the skin, you saw how we read, and the body itself would be taken outside the temple and be burnt completely to ashes. And that family was seeing this whole drama. I am forgiven. Because that animal was judged, found guilty, and condemned. It received a hell for me. And it was more than judgment. Beloved, if if you looked even closer to that animal and to that judgment, yes, God's wrath was being poured upon the animal because sin was counted as if it were there. There were two other words that are connected, two other things that were happening. It's, it's In a sense, these two words explain judgment. One was the word atonement. Atonement was happening. The animal was receiving the penalty for sin. God was say, saying, since the soul that sinneth shall die, this animal that has sin ceremonially upon it, it will have to die. That's atonement. And the second thing is the propitiation. Propitiation brings the reality that, that not only that sin was being paid for, but that, that it was absorbing the penalty. It was absorbing the wrath. Those are two things happening. God was saying, okay, sin will be paid for. And, and the way I pay for it is that this animal will have to suffer. This animal will have to receive my wrath. And so it had to die. And that's how it was a substitute. Now there was a requirement. It, it, it wasn't an automatic thing. Let's imagine that this family where Benjamin was a son and Lydia was one of the daughters, maybe, maybe they had a little son called Joshua, maybe, maybe a teenager called Joshua, 14 years old. But if Joshua went in that direction and in his heart, he said, I don't believe any of this. How can this animal pay for my sins? God is not being fair. An animal die in my place. 
How can that happen? Or maybe he was saying, I didn't even sin. What I've done, they forced me to do it. It was my brothers that were being mean to me, and that's why I called them names. If Joshua went toward the temple, and while the father was confessing the sins of the family upon that animal, if Joshua was unrepentant, if he did not believe, either that God was so gracious to forgive him, or that there was any kind of efficacy in that sacrifice, that he could be cleansed. You know what would happen? Joshua would go home unforgiven. And, and we even sang this when, when, we, when we read in Psalm 51. When you find these verses in the Bible that says that your heart is more important than the sacrifice, this is exactly what I'm talking about right now. When, when David wrote Psalm 51 that we sang, in verse 6 it says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. So he's talking about all the sacrifice and the effect of the sacrifice. He says, purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. But he understands that God desires truth in the inward part. Anyone who comes before the Lord and does not confess his sins and does not believe that the cross has that power to forgive you, the power the, 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 the cross is not saving you because you're not trusting. You're not believing. And see, in the, 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 power, the problem is not that the cross doesn't have that power. The problem is that your heart does not have the faith that is required. There's always power in the cross, but there has to be faith in the heart. So that is the picture's in the sin offerings. There was nothing funny about it. There was nothing flippant about Old Testament worship. There was nothing light. It was all solemn. It was all sober. It was all serious. It had built into it the fullness of gratitude, the joy and the wonder After many of the sacrifices, there would follow weeks of festivities in which people would rejoice and be glad. But while they saw the animal burning, while they saw the priest with blood, while they saw the father perhaps with blood, because he would put put his hand and then he would help slay the animal. And there would be that taking of the blood, both pouring it upon the altar outside and then going inside and sprinkling the altar. Remember reading, not only sprinkling the altar inside, the golden altar, but especially getting, he would dip his finger in the blood and put it upon the four horns of the golden altar. All of that was communicating. It was like the priest saying, Lord, sacrifice happened out there. An animal died for that family. Would thou please forgive their sins? Because they confessed it upon this animal. Here's the proof. The blood is a proof that an innocent victim that was turned ceremonially into sin paid for the sin. So now would thou pardon the family? And as soon as he would touch 
the, the horns, there were two things happening. Not only was he communicating that sin was paid for, but see that closeness to the presence of the Lord was also communicating reconciliation. It was beginning to, to also communicate the result of the sacrifice that would be the forgiveness. That blood that still had that connection, you know, the, the soul of the family was symbolized in that blood. And, and, and it was the blood that died, so redemption was attained. Atonement was made, and so that blood could be put close to the Lord. And it was as if God's saying, that family is near to me. They are reconciled to me because of the sacrifice of that animal. And that's where the element of joy and of gratitude began. And was seen that priests would go back out of the all out, out of the holy place, and, and you see what that was communicating. E- even this entering of the priest into the holy place was a was a picture of the priest going in the direction of God to show that sacrifice was made. And then when the priest walked out of the holy place toward the family, he would say that the deed is done. Go in peace. God has forgiven you. He's absolved you. He's accepted your sacrifice. And what would follow would be the joy and the gratitude and the festivities. You can imagine that family going back home with a, with a deep sense of relief and of joy. And still the thought, especially the child who, who cared for that animal the most, would be the child who probably would feel the most the loss of that lamb or the loss of that little baby goat. And just thinking, wow, sin is serious. It took life for me to be pardoned. It took his blood. So they rejoiced, but with trembling. They praised with holy fear. And we hope shortly to see the portrait in the sin offering. It was, it was teaching judgment. It was teaching atonement, propitiation. And it was, of course, a beautiful picture of Jesus as we hope to see. But let us come before the Lord in prayer. Our gracious, glorious God, we do thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank Thee, Lord, that it reveals all these truths to us. Lord, we stand thousands of years after these sacrifices have no longer been necessary because Jesus died on the cross. But help us learn from them, Lord. Especially help us learn from the very sacrifice of Christ, which fulfilled all those others. When Jesus died, He made it where we need no more bullocks, and we need no more lambs, and we need no more turtle doves. We need no more goats, for He fulfilled them all. And we pray, Lord, that Thou would feed us spiritually as we partake of the table. Help us, Lord, that our hearts and minds would be focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who is not the picture of judgment. He is not a figure. He is the very essence. He is the one who received our sins. And He is the one who was judged because of them. And we help, ask that Thou would help us see these truths, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, amen.